Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, Canacook Camps faces new scrutiny over its handling of sex abuse cases. And Liberty University faces a federal investigation over its handling of sexual assault. Also on today's program, Duke Divinity students pray to a queer God and conservative Methodists form a separate denomination. We begin today with news that Jacksonville, Florida's Celebration Church has been kicked out of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. Yeah, Celebration Church is a big mega church in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, we've been reporting on them pretty steadily for the last few weeks here at Ministry Watch. They had their membership terminated in the ECFA for violating two of the ECFA's seven standards of financial integrity. The two standards related to board governance and financial management. Yeah, Celebration Church and its former senior pastor, Stovall Weems, have been plagued by scandals in recent months. According to a recent investigation carried out by the law firm Nelson Mullins, Weems personally benefited from unauthorized financial transactions and managed the church poorly. And he was suspended by the governing board earlier this year. Yeah, the Nelson Mullins report also suggested the church submit its findings to law enforcement authorities to determine whether criminal charges should be brought against the Weems, Stovall Weems and his wife. Our next story is the latest chapter in the ongoing saga at Liberty University. Yeah, a Washington, D.C. area law firm has filed a complaint in Virginia District Court alleging that Liberty University failed to properly investigate a student's report that she was raped by another student and, in fact, retaliated against uh, the female student after she made that report. The suit says that on April 27, 2021, Doe, then a Liberty University student, was sexually assaulted by a fellow Liberty student at an off-campus student apartment building. Yeah, the woman's name was not given. Jane Doe is how she shows up in the court documents. And uh, she alleges that although Liberty administrators were promptly notified of the incident, the university failed to take any action or enact protective measures in response, and that the school's administration retaliated against the alleged victim, accusing her of violating the school's code of student conduct known as the Liberty Way. Liberty's treatment of sexual abuse victims has already been under scrutiny. In July of 2021, 12 women filed a lawsuit detailing what it called the weaponization of the Liberty Way that made it difficult or impossible for students to report sexual violence. Yeah, the suit said violence, particularly by male student athletes, was excused while the women who reported it faced retaliation and that the school had intentionally created a campus environment that made sexual assaults and rapes more likely to occur. All of this is sort of added together, Natasha, to this conclusion that it was announced this week that the Federal Department of Education has begun investigating Liberty University's handling of these student reports of sexual assaults. And in a statement to ProPublica, though, Liberty University pledged that it would fully cooperate with the investigation. Warren, let's look at one more story before we go to our first break. It's a story about the launch of a new denomination. 
Yeah, on Sunday, May 1st, the Global Methodist Church, a new theologically conservative denomination, splintered off from the United Methodist Church and quietly had its launch. After decades of rancorous debate over a number of issues, including the ordination and marriage of LGBTQ United Methodists, a special session of the United Methodist Church's General Conference, and three postponements of a vote to formally split the denomination, the schism finally came without, and according to a statement from one of the organizers, fanfare but full of hope, faith, and perseverance. In fact, the man making that statement, the Reverend Keith Boyette, is the chairman of the Transitional Leadership Council of the Global Methodist Church. He described the launch of the new denomination in a statement published just a few days earlier on the Global Methodist Church's website. Now, this split has been talked about for a long time. Did the conservatives just get tired of waiting? You know, I think there's a lot to that, Natasha. Sunday's launch, uh, Boyette said, was very definitely driven by practicality and the fact that the postponement of General Conference moved many people to say that they were tired of waiting, tired of the conflict not being addressed and resolved by the United Methodist Church. It's not clear how many churches have joined the new conservative denomination. Boyette said the formation of this transitional group was not about pulling a lot of churches out of the United Methodist Church, but simply providing a place for them to go if they did decide to leave, a framework for churches who wanted to leave to be able to do so. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, more news from Canacook Camps. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's SaveTheStorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, our next story involves Canacook Camps. There were two new developments in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, the first development involves a couple of Branson, Missouri men uh, who have shared their stories of abuse at the hands of a former counselor at Kennecook Camps. Uh, they shared their stories with the Springfield News Leader, saying that that counselor, Pete Newman, groomed them for abuse starting when they were just 13 years old. Now, those of you that have been following this story might remember that Pete Newman pleaded guilty on June 9, 2010, to seven counts of sexually abusing boys and is currently serving two life sentences 
plus 30 years in prison. But critics of Canicook Camp say the issue remains unresolved because the leadership of Canicook, many of those leaders are still there, failed to act appropriately when they knew of Newman's behavior, and they have so far not had to face consequences for that failure to act. And in a related story, a Missouri church that has ties to Canacook is severing those ties until the leadership at Canacook openly confesses and repents for the way they handled the Pete Newman situation. Yeah, the church is the First Baptist Church of West Plains, Missouri, and the pastor, uh, Reverend John King, wrote in a statement to his congregation that he later sent to or confirmed uh, to Ministry Watch. We believe in grace and that God can and will heal, but the process of healing is being delayed because of the lie that Canacook tells, claiming they did not know what was taking place until 2009. Again, that's a direct quote from their John King's statement to the church. And the letter cites three key reasons for the decision. Yeah, those reasons are, number one, uh, again, I'm going to quote from the letter, we do not want to introduce people from our community to an organization that we no longer feel we can trust. Number two, we want to send a message to the victims of the original abuse that we hear them and that their voices matter and their healing is of great importance to us. And number three, we want to send a message to those who have suffered harm in other situations that this is not God's intention and that the church is to be a place of refuge from abuse. King was also motivated by his own relationship with some of the victims. Yeah, that's right. Before pastoring at First Baptist, where he is now, King was a pastor of a church in Branson, where Canacook is headquartered. And he confirmed to Ministry Watch in an email uh, to some questions that we posed to him. During that time, I knew and loved many of the victims of Pete Newman. Our next story is a little bit bizarre, and it involves Duke Divinity School, a school with historical ties to the Methodist Church. Yeah, during a Pride event that took place uh, back in March, a few weeks ago now, students at Duke prayed to the great queer one, referring apparently to God. Uh, The students are part of what's called Divinity Pride, a student group affirming, and these are their words, dignity, faithfulness, and strength of lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, questioning, intersex, asexual, and gender slash sexuality nonconforming Christians. This grad school often trains clergy for the United Methodist Church. Yeah, they do. And one of the students, uh, a candidate for an MDiv, Master of Divinity degree, her name is Caroline Camp, prayed to God during this ceremony, calling him, and these again are direct quotes from her prayer, strange one, fabulous one, fluid and ever becoming one. She stated that God is mother, father, and parent, and drag queen, and trans man, and gender fluid. I I should add that the events and teaching such as this uh, is one of the reasons why conservative United Methodists are separating from the United Methodist denomination. Warren, we're going to take another quick break. When we return our weekly lightning round of ministry news, I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, 
everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. We like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? Well, Christina Darnell's Ministries Making a Difference column um, has a a lot of great features this week. Uh, I'm going to highlight a few of them. Warriors Set Free is one of them. It's a division of Set Free Ministries, which has partnered with the Army Chaplain Corps to provide mental and spiritual support for active duty military. Warriors Set Free was initially designed to equip veterans to help other veterans heal and overcome challenges experienced during military service, but the partnership will expand ministry to those that are currently serving as well. Also, World Mission says that it has recently provided 100 refugee families with food supplies, blankets, and audio Bibles, and that it has saved 80 Afghan girls from being trafficked. One story that caught my eye was a huge gift by Cox Health to a church in Springfield, Missouri. Yeah, it really is a remarkable story. Cox Health is, for those of us not from that area, is a large hospital system in Missouri. It's the seventh largest employer in the state. And last year, it gave away its former hospital building to uh, Life 360 Community Services, a nonprofit associated with Life 360 Church, a church in Springfield, Missouri. And they used that building to set up a community center. Um, The trans was finalized back in September, and Convoy of Hope, another large Christian ministry that we report on often here at Ministry Watch, helped the ministry make the necessary adaptations to provide facilities amenable to community-oriented occupants, such as a career center, college campus, income-based dental clinic. In other words, you sort of pay what you can afford to get dental care and family advocacy services, as well as its own services, such as a preschool and nutrition center. Pretty remarkable. Hmm. Now, Warren, we've rolled over into a new month, and we've posted a number of monthly features on the site. Yeah, every month we publish a list curated from the Ministry 1000 database. It's always one of the most popular stories we post each month, and this month we have something both new and old in the same list. What do you mean by that? Well, we published the list of the 50 largest missions and Bible translation organizations in the nation. Now, we've done that before. We did it last year for the first time. So that's the what is old about it, you might say. However, because we did publish it last year, we were able to compare last year's list to this year's list, and we can see some pretty significant changes in trends. That's what's the new part. So what did that comparison reveal? Well, uh, uh, quite a lot, actually, but here are just a couple of quick examples. Uh, 
Biblica, formerly the National Bible Society, rose significantly from 40 to 23 on our list. That makes it the biggest mover on our list, and it's a result of some pretty dramatic growth that they have had there. And a number of organizations are on the list for the first time, including Mission of Hope Haiti and the Timothy Initiative. I should add that in part because of that dramatic growth, which we were able to discover from this list, we featured the Timothy Initiative CEO, Jared Nelms, on our podcast last week. You can check that interview out with him by hitting the podcast tab at the Ministry Watch website. And that's not the only list we publish each month. Yeah, that's right. We also publish our list of the top 10 stories of the month as ranked by PageView. And I hate to give away the punchline, but I will. Uh, the number one story on the month for uh, April was uh, our last month's list, the list of the ministries in our database that had received an F transparency grade uh, from Ministry Watch. Again, evidence that our list, our pretty popular, and we're delighted that we're able to make those available, curated information from our database. To find out what else is on the list, just go to ministrywatch.com. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, I do have a couple of items that I'd like to mention. Uh, I, I often get asked here, uh, why do you publish so much bad news at Ministry Watch? You know, I think it's a fair question and one that I've addressed from time to time on the podcast, but I thought the time was right to put my ideas down on paper or you know, on a keyboard in a more uh, robust and logical way and back them up with Scripture. So uh, I would like to recommend to our listeners, again, to hit our website and read my article, When Bad News is Good News. It's my best attempt so far at explaining why Ministry Watch does what it does and why we need to face bad news if we're going to be seen as truthful, honest messengers of the good news. And also a quick reminder that we'll be doing a free webinar next week. The webinar is How to Find and Read a Form 990. Uh, I know, Natasha, you know, and a lot of our listeners know that we depend a lot on Form 990s for a lot of the information that we um, glean to write stories here at Ministry Watch. We think every Christian donor should know how to read a Form 990. It's really not that difficult, but it does take a, there are a few tricks that you need to know. So we'll do that webinar next Wednesday, May the 11th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. It is, as I said, free, but you do need to sign up for it in order to get the login information. We've been promoting this webinar in our daily email, so just click on the banner at the top of the daily email, and that'll take you straight to the registration page. That is wonderful. Do you have anything else? Well, I wanted to mention that a couple of the stories that we talked about today, the Canacook story and the Life 360 church story in particular, came from Reader Tips. And that happens just about every week. If you have a story that you'd like for us to cover or a ministry that you think needs a closer look, please send us an email. Our email address is info at ministrywatch.com. That email comes directly to my inbox, and we'll take it from there. And finally, a reminder that you can help the program by leaving us a rating on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the easier it is for other people to find us. It's a quick, easy, and free way that you can support Ministry Watch. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Sedith.
Writers who contributed to today's program include Anne Stike, Kim Roberts, Hannah Breyfus, Hope Rolson, Emily McFarlane Miller, Steve Raby, Christina Darnell, and you, Warren. Special thanks to ProPublica and Juicy Ecumenism, the blog for the Institute of Religion and Democracy, for contributing materials to this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.